Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew, they, them pronouns, and I'm continuing my journey through the adventures of our favorite blue Imperial Admiral, Thrawn, as Danielle joins me once again to talk about book two of the first Thrawn trilogy in the Disney canon. Yes, these things get real confusing, but this book is called Thrawn Alliances. It's a three-book trilogy, Thrawn, Thrawn Alliances, Thrawn Treason. Today we're talking about book two. Danielle, how are we doing today? I'm great. I'm excited to talk about this one. This is one of my favorites, so yay. <laughs> awesome, awesome. I'm really looking forward to talking about it because I admit I have some mixed feelings with this book. I I love all of the stuff it does about Star Wars, and I think I learned so much of the characters. Some of the writing is not my favorite, and particularly one of the characters I think is not done justice, but we'll, we'll get to that. So let's just kind of start. Talk, tell us more about how you feel about this book, Thrawn Alliances. I love, um, spoiler alert, <laughs> uh, Anakin and Thrawn's uh, interactions throughout this book. Mm -hmm. I think that they're written incredibly well. It's hilarious. And I also really love uh, Padme's parts in this book. I think that... There, there are two men in Star Wars that I trust writing Padme, and that's Mike Chen and Timothy Zen. now. Interesting. Okay, because I had a very different reaction to really? how you wrote Padme, so we'll, yeah. we'll definitely get that. We'll definitely get to that. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think largely though I feel the same. It's a, it really says a lot about Thrawn, but it also, somewhat like the first book, you know, a lot of times the way you really tell a story about a institution or a point in time or a point in history at a specific place is by introducing a newcomer and letting us see that through his eyes. And I think we're really getting that with the Empire. And in this book, because it, it kind of touches on two different timelines, uh, one during the, the Clone Wars and then one during the Empire, we get that twice. And it's in many ways, I feel like the character who we learn the most about in this book isn't Thrawn. It's Anakin Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. Because we get to see him with this – Thrawn is on two different adventures with each one of them. Yeah, I agree. I think we definitely learn a lot about Anakin. I actually think that Timothy Zahn is one of the best writers of Anakin and Darth Vader. Um, and I, I feel like he understands him on a level that not a lot of authors do. He doesn't um, mm -hmm. over-apologize for him. And he just kind of lets yep. him be the character that he is. And – it's rare that you find a writer in Star Wars who does that. Someone who truly is does kind of seem to be like in the middle of his character, like not not a, a super, super fan of him, like to the point where he excuses a lot, but also not someone who actually hates the character. He's just, he sees him for who he is and writes him that way, and I really appreciate it. Um, but I also think that we get, what we learn about Thrawn in this book, to me, is is really how he maneuvers. Like, he's not good at politics, we know this, but he is really good at maneuvering around people and getting the reaction he wants from them. And yeah. there is no better example of this than in his interactions with Anakin and then Anakin as Vader. And I just, I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. Very much agree, yeah. And it's, I think there's often a perception that to be neurodivergent means to be very bad at social skills. And I think that often those things are the case. But sometimes it can be that you are very good at certain social skills. You just don't always understand what is needed in others. Mm -hmm. And I think th we see a lot of that in Thrawn. Like, he's not bad with people. In a lot of ways, he's brilliant with them. But as you said, it's in these specific ways. 
So let me give a quick overview of the story. And I think in some ways this is going to be fairly brief because, frankly, I don't think the details of the story matter anywhere near as much as the things we learn through them and stuff like that. But you can, you can definitely correct me there. And as I said, there are two different stories that are being told at the same time. The primary story is about uh, Thrawn meeting up with Vader. But I want to actually start with the first one because that I think it will help frame it better. So in the first story... We figure we hear about how Thrawn first came to know about the Jedi and the Republic and things like that, or at least his first encounter with them. In the beginning of the first book that we read, just 2007's Thrawn, he mentions in his talk with the Emperor that he had heard about the Jedi, he'd heard about the Clone Wars, he had met this person named Anakin Skywalker. This first part of the book is that story. Basically, um, Duje, I think is her name, um, one of uh, Padme's handmaidens and attendants, who if you read the, Pat, the Queen's Shadow, Queen's Peril books, you learn there's so much more than just that. But she has traveled to this planet way out on the rim of known space in wild space, and she's gone missing for a while, and now Padme is going to look for her. And Anakin is very concerned about this, and so now Anakin has gone to look for Padme. And, and that's where we get a lot of the great Anakin stuff that we'll get into in a second. And as he's approaching the planet for observation, this guy introduces himself, Thrawn. Uh, there's a great interaction where, where he says, just call me Thrawn. And Anakin's like, no, 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 I can use your full name. And so <laughs> Thrawn corrects him like three or four times. And finally he's like, okay, I'll just, I'll just call you Thrawn. Thank you. Um, which anybody who has been like in, in situations where people don't understand their naming or, or pronunciation or things like that. The way the way he just offers the nickname but then refuses to accept a mispronunciation of his actual name is just utterly wonderful. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, and then the two of them get involved in looking for uh, Padme, which they come to discover is all, that that her first her handmaiden and then she has gotten really involved in uh, this plot that involves minors and criminals and eventually separatists and that what they eventually learn is that there is this factory that is mining cortosis and using it to create shields that not only are great against blasters but are actually great against lightsabers as well and in so doing they start Thrawn figures out that it's possible that not only is this something that the separatists would want but that you, they could even put it into because at one point they actually see clone trooper armor that looks like it's this. But basically, what they figure out, which Skywalker isn't able to admit to himself at the point at that point, but Vader later does, is that this was Palpatine starting to prepare the clone troopers to fight the Jedi. Um, it's brilliantly told, and at one point in it, the question comes up for for Thrawn, where he puts it to Anakin. We have to focus on the mission, and the mission is victory. And that if there comes a point where you're going to have to choose between rescuing Padme, your personal concern, versus the larger concern for all of us, rescuing, you know, stopping this factory and, and thus preventing this, this war going on, you're going to have to choose victory. And Anakin very clearly refuses to make that decision. Or, and he says pretty clearly, both to Thrawn and especially in his head, that he would never do that. He would always choose Padme which is like the literal definition of why attachment for someone like him can be a bad thing. So it's, it's really, really well told. 
And in the course of this, Padme does a lot of her own kind of sneaking around. She learns a lot of things. She helps rescue them at one point. She befriends a couple people on the planet who then wind up like two of them get killed. And one of them is kind of bitter about how all this has hurt the planet, which we'll talk about later. And it ends with, <clears throat> you know, Thrawn saying his goodbyes uh, and, and clearly kind of a little dissatisfied that Anakin isn't seeing what he is seeing. So that's running parallel to the quote unquote main storyline and that it's the one that kind of starts and ends the book, which is that and it's very clearly set that this is happening after the battle of uh, the end of season three of Rebels. Rebels. And for anyone who hasn't seen that yet, that ends with Thrawn first having gotten involved and being defeated by the Rebels and there are a, a number of allies they call in that no one was expecting. And he has been called back to Coruscant and Vader is clearly needling him because of this terrible failure. And the Emperor has asked the two of them to go on a mission because he has felt a disturbance in the Force. And, you know, it's kind of a buddy cop. Like, they're both, it's, in both ways, it's kind of a buddy cop show, you know? And <clears throat> I kind of love that about it. Um, and, and the two of them now again go on an adventure, and it winds up again leading them to the same planet. Because part of what they find is that a new race called the Grisk, who are like uh, the Chiss have heard rumors about them, but no one really in the Republic or Empire has heard much about them. But they are gathering power. <clears throat> and one of the things that they're doing is trying to steal the, the most important resources of different culture. For the Chiss, we learn that there is some force sensitivity among their people, but it kind of manifests in weird ways. And sorry for all the detail here, but it, it is very important where young children, especially girls are sensitive enough to the force that they have some precognition. And because wild, one of the reasons why wild space is what it is, is that the, 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 the astronomical makeup of it is such that, there are not really stable hyperlanes that can be maintained over time. There's far too many like black holes and gravity wells and all this stuff coming and going. And so they use these children and it's one of the only ways the Chiss have, uh, the, the Chiss have that most other races don't have out there to navigate and to, to make hyperspace jumps and not just stay in their own star systems and things like that. The Grisk have captured them and are trying to steal them away. And it's this wonderful sort of, back and forth between Thrawn and uh, between Thrawn and Vader because Thrawn is trying to help Vader succeed in his mission but he's also very clearly also trying to protect and rescue this Chiss resource and then use the the Chimera his in star destroyer to do battle against the Grisk who have attacked um the the Chiss like this and there's this constant theme from Vader of you're not you're not you're you have divided loyalties. You can't choose both the Chiss and the Empire. You're betraying the Empire, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this is the kind of thing what you're getting to. Thrawn does this wonderful job of convincing Vader that what he is doing is helping both the Chiss and <clears throat> the Empire. But he's clearly walking a very dangerous line. It's it, it's kind of the equivalent. I think this very intentional parallel of Anakin saying, like, no, 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 everything I do to rescue Padme, it's because she's such a good senator, and so it's for the good of the Republic, and et cetera, et cetera. So that, again, ends with a big battle. The Grisk are defeated. Everything works out okay. And Vader is still very distrustful of Thrawn, but I think has come to expect and respect him a little bit more, but also makes clear, you know, you're going back to Lothal. 
you absolutely have to win this time or there's going to be real trouble. Um, you kind of basically get the sense of like uh, Thrawn taking a ride on those Purgles at the end uh, and then coming back to a world without the Chancellor or Vader is kind of good for him because he probably dodged a bullet. Because <laughs> if the Rebels had defeated him twice, uh, that would have been really bad for him. So, so yeah, I think um, there's a lot of aspects to the story that we'll get into. But does that kind of give a, a, a basic plot summary, you think? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I guess one thing I would add, because I think it is important to the narrative, is that um, the Clone Wars era story is intermingled with the Imperial story timeline-wise. Mm-hmm. So, so like you go a couple chapters in the Imperial story, and then you go a couple chapters in the Clone Wars story. And I think that's important because it's intentionally, um, they're mirroring yeah. each other based on the events that are happening. And <clears throat> the more that like Thrawn and, and Anakin get to know each other in one chapter, in the next one in the Imperial timeline, um, you see how that affects how Thrawn interacts with Anakin, with Vader, um, based yeah. on what he's remembering from their previous interactions. And I think that There's, that makes it a really, it's a good storytelling to me, um, having mm-hmm. it that way. There's one beautiful moment where I think one chapter ends with Thrawn saying something along the lines of, you just have to trust me. And then the literal next line of the next chapter is Anakin saying, you just have to trust mm-hmm. me. They do that a lot. There's, and I think my favorite my favorite part of the book is is you see Thrawn falling down the same line, like you said, that he warned Anakin against back in the Clone mm. Wars. And so in the Imperial time, he is it's it's Vader telling him these things that Thrawn was telling Anakin. And like being like, you know, be mindful of what you do of, of these things. And, you know, the specific thing, it's, it's the, that line of um, victory is what matters here, not anything else. Vader reminds Thrawn of that in the Imperial time, uh, which is what Thrawn had to yep. tell him in the Clone Wars time. And so it's like you see that you see just how much Thrawn has changed since then, too. It's not just how much Anakin has mm-hmm. changed. It's how much Thrawn has. Yeah. And and you see the effect of the Empire has had on him, I think, mm-hmm. in his in that those like what is like twenty years since. Mm-hmm. And one thing I think is really brilliant in the way it's done is that a running theme in the imperial side of the story is that Thrawn knows that, or at least strongly suspects, and is figuring out that Vader is Anakin. Mm-hmm. And I really love that it takes us inside Vader's mind because we've never really seen this before. He constantly refers to Anakin as the Jedi, mm. and it's very much a third person kind of like, that wasn't me, that was this other person. But there are things where he's like, and Vader realized that the Jedi remembered this happening, you know, or Vader thought about how the Jedi had felt about it. And he's, he wonders, you know, did the Emperor, t- one thing I think would never really been clear is, do people know this? And according to this, at least, it's a, entirely a secret. Like, almost no one knows. The Emperor is probably one of the only people who knows. And then maybe, like, Obi-Wan or, or Yoda and people like that. And when Vader thinks that the Emperor told him, he feels this huge sense of betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, what could have happened here? And, and it's really interesting to see him. And then when finally th- he realizes Thrawn – because Thrawn just keeps needling a little bit. <laughs> Thrawn will say something like, oh, don't you remember the last time you and I did this together? And Vader's like, we didn't do that together. And Thrawn's like, oh, oh yes, of course. I'm sorry. I was thinking of someone else, you know. 
Um, and it, it, it's a funny back and forth, but it also says so much about Eric. He, his very kind of conflicted relationship. Cause his very conflicted relationship with his past, because to me, if you actually have fully cut that mm-hmm. out and you are a completely new person, none of this bothers you yeah. the way it does. Yeah, yeah that's why I... Oh, gosh, Anakin. I love Anakin so much because I love to pick on him. And I love I love to, to call him out on on his on his bullshit because it is exactly that. You see him and that's what this whole thing is with Vader and I I never really I wish more people would read the books and, and everything and see like just how how much even though Vader says that he killed Anakin Skywalker and and that's not him anymore. Like that, it is like that's just him trying to force himself to view himself as someone differently because he can't accept that he did that he's doing what he's doing, and and he also doesn't want to accept that he used to be the good person that he used to be, and um, otherwise he wouldn't be able to do all of the horrible things that he's done, and yeah. and so on that hand, it's very sad to see him continually try to just separate this other this other person in inverted commas uh from himself but it's also really funny because it's just like come on Anakin like get over I know you have to do this or you wouldn't be able to continue what you're doing but like come on and then so I think Thrawn is like the reader in that instance because he's like yeah shut up I know what you're talking about I know I know who you are I I've I've got you I've got you yeah yeah it's really brilliantly done that way and you know, I, I've said before that one reason I like the Clone Wars TV show so well is that it really fills in the gap from the second to the third of the prequel movies, including showing the sort of gradual fall of Anakin towards the dark side. And like in this book, it's very clear that we're, we're pretty close to the end of the war. Mm-hmm. You know, the war has been going on a long time. It's had these real effects on both of them. Um there's some stuff from Padme there that we'll definitely talk about in a bit, but just staying on Anakin for a moment, like there are moments where he is angry at the people who are possibly hurting or maybe even killing Padme that Thrawn has to kind of stop him from just killing them in his rage, you know, killing them out of anger. And when, you know, the things that they're doing are going to affect these people who are basically kind of like, not forced labor at gunpoint, but they're working for the separatists, not because they believe in the cause, but just because they need jobs. Mm-hmm. And they've basically bought out the mine and treated them horribly. And Anakin wants to blow up the factory and has to be reminded, like, wait a minute, there's collateral damage. We need to rescue those people. And it's kind of like, okay, fine, yeah. you know, and th- there's a callousness there and a level of that's just collateral damage that even Thrawn, who we think of as just being very cold and very efficient, like, is sort of like, Anakin, what are you doing here? Yeah, you can't, like, you don't know what the ramifications are going to be. And that's that's the thing, another nice parallel, um, I think, between the two stories is that, you know, Thrawn, in the Clone Wars timeline, you do see his old, um, he never underestimates his opponent, and he's also always thinking about, um, you know, you can't do, you can't make actions without thinking about them first. Like what, what is the, what are the possible ramifications of this action that you might do for everyone involved, not just for yourself? And, um, and we see, I think, that Anakin, 
is like almost the exact opposite of that when it comes to strategy and, and, and war. And that is in the end, his downfall because he does continually underestimate his opponents. He does, or he doesn't think about the ramifications of other people or, or anything else, or he just doesn't care. And Thrawn is, is like I said, the opposite of that, except when we get to like the Lothal stuff. And you see that like the few times that Thrawn does under, does underestimate his opponent and doesn't fully think about the ramifications of everything are the only times that he fails. And the one time Anakin doesn't, I view that he acts differently, he acts more similarly to Thrawn, is with Luke. And that is ultimately the time that he wins. And yeah. and even even though he dies. And so I like I like the symmetry between them. Um they're they're like reflections of each other, like kind of distorted reflections, but they're very, very similar. Yeah. I, I think that's so good. I mean I mentioned before that this comes right after the end of season three of Rebels. And I really love how it does it because, first of all, just in terms of helping to explain things, as you said, it points out some flaws with Thrawn, which I remember getting to the end of book one and thinking, okay, you've now told me this is the greatest general who's ever general, the general, an <laughs> admiral, an admiral. How in the world did a bunch of misfits on, you know, Lothal ever outsmart this guy? And you know, kind of written into a situation where he's basically unbeatable. And this at least starts to give some, like, ex- it, it gives an explanation of why Thrawn lost yeah. at the end of season three. That I think is really helpful to understanding the character. And then also really interesting to see, like, you know, Ezra and Kanan and Hera and, and all of them, they're not paying attention to, like, what's happening to Thrawn when he goes back to Coruscant. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Vader, like, won't stop needling him... <laughs> And, and clearly feels like this is a major betrayal and a failure. Is it, it just told us so much about the Empire, Vader, Thrawn, all of it. Well, in Thrawn's, you can tell that the Lothal rebels are getting under his skin in a way that other opponents don't, that we've seen from him so far. And because anytime mm-hmm. it's brought up, he's mad. He gets angry. He gets like, yeah. it's it's like the facade slips just a little bit from him. And, you know, his ever, his ever calm face and very, you know, contemplative attitude slips. And he just gets upset because they pulled one over on him and that doesn't happen to him. And I think that because yeah. he doesn't have any experience with someone defeating him in that way, tricking him, uh, you know, you know, making him look a little bit like a fool, then the minute it happens, it's like a domino effect. It's like because he doesn't know yeah. how to deal with that, and so it's uh, you can you can see like you can see that they're they're getting under his skin, they're bothering him, and so it does make like you said um, the fact that he fails ultimately in this uh, a little bit more believable from the first book. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely, and it just helps with that character a lot more. Mm-hmm. You know, I think. I love what you said about it. he's never learned, you know, the, the Yoda line that failure, the greatest teacher mm-hmm. is like, he hasn't learned that he hasn't experienced that before and he doesn't know how to handle mm-hmm. it. And the other, cause I think there's also a great parallel there of that. It's when he gets emotional that he is harder for him and he manages to keep his cool much more and he does win. But clearly also we see with him that he does like when he's fighting the emperor's wars he has intellectual opinions on the Death Star, but he's not emotionally invested in, is this a good idea or is this not? He is, though, clearly invested in in the Chiss and, like, protecting them. And 
he's very good. He keeps insisting that it is possible to maintain utter dual loyalty where he will never betray the Empire, but he will also never betray the Chess. Mm -hmm. How much is he lying to others? To me, there's kind of three three options. I'm curious which one you think it is. Is he being accurate and he honestly believes you can be completely loyal to both? Is he still primarily loyal to the Chiss, but is convincing everyone that he's just as loyal to the Emperor so that he can get along, like he's a little bit lying to them? Or is he lying to himself, that he's convinced himself that you can be loyal to both, when the reality is he's... Even though he gives a decent justification, there are actions he takes in this book that, to me, are are kind of the equivalent of... Anakin going after Padme at moments where the focus should be on the larger war effort or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I think he's lying to himself. Um, mm-hmm. And without getting too much into the next book, there is a line that someone says that is like, you weren't sent here to do this. You were sent mm-hmm. here to do something else. We didn't. You, you weren't asked to get this deeply involved. And, and I think that he got that deeply involved because of I, I think, like, he, he didn't expect to maybe, like, he doesn't fit in, but he does find a place for himself in the Empire. Mm-hmm. And he fits into that place really well. He's a good leader. The people who follow him want mm-hmm. to learn from him and just as much as he wants to teach them. And I think that there is a little bit of a, you know, he's not a Jedi, but an attachment there with them uh, that he, he wants to see that through. Uh, I think he liked... Having he likes having proteges. I think that's the thing about Thrawn yeah. is he likes having people to teach and to pass on his knowledge, and the people he's found in the Empire. Even though it's not everybody, even though it's just his small little not small but his his little part of the Empire, they accept that and they thrive off of it and they want it in a way that I think maybe he didn't get in the Chiz Ascendancy. He was always kind of the outcast, <clears throat> which he is in the Empire too, but again, he's managed to carve out that spot for himself that he's not the outcast. These people that he leads like him. And and maybe that was hard for him to let go. And so he's created this idea in his head that he can do both. But you can't really because the Chiz ascendancy and the Empire are too like they're really yeah. they're really they're never gonna work together. They never would have, I don't think. Um, and so it was, it was just kind of a pipe dream that he just wanted to believe in my opinion. Yeah. Like a couple of times he says that to Vader, that he knows the emperor wants to expand into wild space. And so part of what they're doing is helping to make that easier. But like, if they do, they're going to encroach upon the Mm -hmm. chess. Like that's definitely a thing. Let's talk a bit more about Padme because as you said, she's a very important part of the book. And we get chapters from her point of view, which I really appreciate. And I want to hear more about what you really liked. My critique of it was that I think there's a thing sometimes that happens when men write women characters, not always by any means, but where, I mean, there could this doesn't happen every time men write women characters, and certainly other gender combinations can wind up doing this with, with any character, but where... You're taking an established character, and, and it's, it's always hard to write someone else's character and to write on a page a character people have seen on screen. 
Padme felt in until the epilogue where she does some really interesting sort of self-analysis about her feelings about Anakin and her memories of, as she calls it, that terrible night where he killed all the sand people. Nice to finally see some acknowledgement <laughs> from her that that wasn't great. But other than that, her character felt incredibly generic. Like, it felt like she was a, you know, very likable, uh, very skilled woman who was very headstrong, but in, like, you know, follow her heart awesome ways and, like, you know, very dedicated and forthright and would, like, you know, not – she was never going to, like, stop and wait. She was going to go find her handmaiden. She saw that it was the Separatist factory and she was like, I'm not going to sit and wait for Anakin. I'm going to try and get inside. Like, she, she has all these positive qualities and they are qualities I do associate with Padme. But it felt to me like you could tell me she was – other than the fact that Anakin needed to care about her enough – to want to rescue her at the cost of the mission, nothing about her character felt unique to Padme, if that makes sense. It, just, it felt kind of like, insert generic woman character that our male character can care about. Um, I'm guessing you got a very different perspective. Yeah, I didn't feel that way at all. Um, I think it felt it felt very Padme to me, because mm -hmm. everything she does is who she is. Like everything we see her do in this book is who she is. It, it, it reinforces who she is. The fact that as soon as a handmaiden caught, like you said, like all these things you said, those are very specific to Padme. I don't, I don't feel like you could put in any other character and it would be the exact same because, mm -hmm. because of what we know about her. And I wonder if maybe it's because we know these things already, maybe reading it, it doesn't seem like, new or spectacular, but I don't think it has to. I think that it's mm -hmm. it falls in line very well with, with everything we know about her and everything we've come to expect from her character. Um, with the, the added, like, she's not blameless either when it comes to the Republic. Right. And she's thinking about that all throughout. And that's what I, that's what I liked about this perspective of her is that, you know, in the Clone Wars, we get we get a lot of, you know, the action-y Padme and the, the contemplative Padme. And occasionally she does think about, you know, whether the Republic, what the Republic is doing is, is right or not. But not, we don't really get in depth into that. And I feel like this perspective of her, we do. Because she she's seeing a planet that isn't a part of the Republic, isn't a part of the CIS. And uh, she's seeing what this the effect of this war is having on them. And... And she sees right. these people who she who she says, oh, the Republic will, will take care of you. They're like, what is that? Like, we don't care about that. Like, we're not a part of that. We're not a part yeah. of that. We don't want to be pulled into your war. We don't want any of this. And she's having to grapple with with how she's she's <laughs> lying to them and she's using them uh, the same way that when she sees that being done, she's appalled. But she's doing it this time. Right. And and so I liked that. I felt like the 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 men who took her in and who helped her, uh, her thoughts about them and her thoughts about how she's using them and about um, you know, her place in this war and what it's turned her into and how she doesn't like it are are very very Padme thoughts that we we like I said, we don't get to see very often. And mm. at least on her own and and in this very contemplative way. And so I really, yeah. really appreciated that. And then, like you mentioned, the epilogue is fantastic. Um, truly, truly fantastic in that that grapples with how she feels about Anakin and how she feels about yeah. 
Anakin's place in this war. And it's like she's seeing for the first time exactly what he's willing to do. And it, it, maybe not seeing it for the first time, but, but actually taking it in for the first time. Mm. And, and realizing that, you know, he's not being forced to do this. He did it on his own. And, and where she could maybe make an excuse for him with the sand people because she chose compassion in that moment and to, to, to feel for all of the pain that he was going through in that time and, and see that he was already beating himself up about it so much that her doing so wouldn't add anything to it. In this moment, she's like, this is separate from that. This is influenced yeah. by it, but there's there's no like nothing I can really say to excuse this here or nothing I I can't choose compassion here because he wasn't the one hurting. Those people are hurting. Yeah. And I'm supposed to show compassion to them, but Anakin is my husband. What like what do I do here? What have I gotten myself into kind of? And and so yeah, so I I, I really liked Padme's part in this. Mm-hmm. Um I think I think because she was it felt it, when so often Padme can just feel like an extension of Anakin, in this instance, I think she felt like Anakin's partner who has very complicated feelings herself yeah. about the situation she's in. Okay, I, I think that really makes a lot of sense. And <clears throat> to me, there's kind of two things that come up there. One is I, I do really like the way you're talking about that because – Frankly, that was part of the part that didn't feel like Padme to me is because we know that early in the Clone Wars, she had had some of those moments of compassion for the people who, you know, it's easy to assume like, oh, we see the terrible things the Separatists are doing to that planet. So, of course, we should go and rescue them and it's for their benefit. And like, there's often a lot of truth to that. That's also like what we said about the people of Vietnam. Mm. You know, it's often how you justify things. And... So part of me had trouble believing that she would do that because, you know, the three people who help her, two of them wind up dead and the third, like, has his life ruined and really has to go and start again somewhere. But when I think about it in terms you're talking about, it does make a lot more sense, especially if it's somewhat part of what this is showing is not only how the war has affected her, but how Anakin has affected her. And it's some of his, like, let's focus on the big picture and maybe not worry about the individuals who are hurt as much is not only troubling to her, but is rubbing. Like, she's also like, oh, am I doing some of that as well? Yeah, it's like the... Because at this point, in the, the Clone Wars time of this is takes place after Soka mm. leaves the Order. So it's between the end of Season 5 of the Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith. And mm-hmm. at that point, the war's been going on for, like, almost three years. And... and yep. We see, like, we, we always focus on how much that's affecting the Jedi and how much that's affecting the Republic at large, but never really on, like, individual senators, especially compassionate senators like Padme, who, who, who truly want the best for people, but have, like the Jedi, been pulled into changing the way they work so that they can try and make, make better change, but then it doesn't happen, and then they end up having to do the things they never wanted to do to to make any type yeah. of change. And and this really showed that. I think that it's been three years in this war, three years of nonstop Padme fighting the Senate to get, to get anything for people, uh, trying to save her mm-hmm. friends, trying to stay true to who she is. And, and this is the first time I think she realizes that maybe she hasn't and that yeah. she needs to reevaluate <clears throat> some of, her choices and the some of her actions that she's been making. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really true. I think it's really true. Well, okay, you got me convinced there. <laughs> that that is country run. And also, I, I did some quick checking of dates. You know, part of it's also because I think the characterization of Padme that I most resonate with and that is most in my head are the books by E.K. Johnson, mm-hmm. the, the Queen's Shadow, Queen's Peril, which were written after these books or kind of <clears throat> almost at the same time enough that like I, I'm sort of a little more forgiving also of like all this stuff we learned about Padme mm-hmm. hadn't existed yet when uh, uh, Thrawn was writing this. So yeah. that, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I also – can we talk really quickly about how um, Padme tells Thrawn about um, – well, well, Anakin mentions the Mark Sable, um, or however you pronounce it, um, movement, which mm-hmm. is the the battle move that Ahsoka came up with uh, in the the space battle above Ryloth early in the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. and it's named after um, a, sh- a flower native to Shili, the Togruta home planet, and um, because of how it how it opens up and how it blooms and. It involves the Star Destroyer or Jedi cruiser being turned belly away so that mm-hmm. it can, the, their uh, fighter pilots can come out and get in formation before they're exposed to enemy fire. And that way they have better a better chance at attacking and, and succeeding. And Anakin named it that... Uh, once Ahsoka used it the first time and used it frequently throughout the Clone Wars. And he mentions it and Thrawn asks Padme what he's talking about and Padme tells him what it is. And then Thrawn Mm -hmm. goes on to use that in the Empire. And I'm just like, I can picture Ahsoka being like, is nothing sacred? (laughs) You have to go and tell a stranger. And and there's a double meaning for that as well, though, because there may be other pieces, places where this has occurred, but something very like that movement is used by Thrawn in the original Legends canon oh, uh, books. Oh, I didn't know that. And so I always took that move from Rebels as like an homage to Thrawn, to, to Timothy Zahn writing of Thrawn. And so for Timothy Zahn to put it back in, I, I was like, I love that because you're both acknowledging it, but also a little bit like, no, 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 no. Thra- Thra- Thrawn gets to do that eventually because, like, it was his move originally. Ah, so, so they, they took that from the, the Legends books for the Clone Wars and then that, – That is my memory. Yeah. Like, and some people I'm sure will be like, oh, no, no, his ship was pointed at 60 degrees and Ahsoka <laughs> had it at 90 degrees, you know, whatever it is. But it, it certainly seemed like it was a combat. That idea of – the, the ships already being at mm-hmm. speed is very much something that happens in a Thrawn novel. Okay, interesting. I like that. I like that little yeah, connection, though, between Thrawn and Ahsoka um, and, and how Anakin's kind of like the middle of it. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's funny. <laughs> well, and there's another part of the Thrawn in the, the original books that Timothy Zahn wrote to what he's writing now that I want to talk about. Uh, again, though, it's mostly in this book. What do you think of the character of Rook? Rook is, for those who remember him from Rebels, he's a kind of like tallish, sort of feline, gray uh, gray uh, alien who is kind of Thrawn's bodyguard, but also like his, he's kind of like personal rogue assassin, like kind of thing. And he's very fun in this book. He's constantly like squabbling with uh, Cormond, who's the commander of sort of the elite squad that Vader commands. He keeps trying to get onto their ship and, and all this kind of stuff. What do you think about his character? God, I loved him in this book and I was so mad <laughs> because 
Yes, I hate him in Rebels. I hate yeah. him so much in Rebels. But in this book, he was so funny and and really clever and and intelligent. And I think that this book allowed me to appreciate that more mm-hmm. about him, to kind of like see him as a full character instead of just as, um, you know, the guy who's partially responsible for some of the pain of my favorite characters. Um, mm-hmm. And... And so I was, I was like laughing at some of the stuff he did and I was paused and I was like, I'm enjoying Rook in this book. Yeah. Damn it. (laughs) And I, I really love it because like, like you, I didn't like his characterization in, in Rebels, both because just in the show, but also he's so different than he is in the original Thrawn books. Thrawn came up with him and his whole species, the Nagri. And I've heard some rumors that Zahn really didn't like how that character was portrayed in the Mm. show. And so this felt a little bit like him rescuing the character. (laughs) But the thing that's really interesting is how it was the timeline of it. Because, you know, all the timelines are weird because in the Thrawn books, because in the original books that Thrawn appears in, the Heir of the Empire trilogy, those are all taking place after Return of the Jedi. Thrawn has shown up from the wild areas. And so, like, it's possible this can all... Uh, line up, but most of the stuff that we see him doing now, he according to those books, he had been doing after the Empire Falls, hence the term heir to the Empire, which they're kind of using again in this. But in that, the story of the Nagri people is that, and I know there's a long diatribe, but I promise it's relevant <laughs> to the book, um, sometime during the Clone Wars, there was a terrible battle fought uh, above their planet, and the ships fell to the ground. And what we learn is that often, like, you know, when these things happen, especially when these huge ships like Star Destroyers crash into planets, that it can, like, alter, you know, the makeup of the planet, the, the chemistry of the water system and the water table, you know, the, the chemicals that spill out, just the impact changing its or- orbit or whatever. And, and so this planet, like, you know, all the agriculture died. And that... In the books, Vader, first the Emperor, but then mostly Vader, comes and, as they understand it, kind of rescues the Nagri people. And so they feel this incredible loyalty towards Vader. And that Thrawn has now come back and said, you know, Vader is gone, but you're loyal to me. You're still loyal to the Empire, and so I'm going to keep commanding you. And so he has Rook as his bodyguard and also all these groups that are, you know, working for him. And then at one point they encounter Princess Leia and they can kind of recognize her by scent that she is the daughter of Vader. And, and so it, it's kind of very interesting for her that she hates this idea of Vader, but she has to play up that she's Vader's daughter to have authority with them. Um, and so anyway, it's this real kind of thing of like battling with the memory of Vader. As it turns out, the Empire was betraying them the whole time and that's a whole other storyline. But the point being, I thought it was so interesting that in this, you know, because they never appear in book one. So something happened between book one and book two that Thrawn found this guy Rook and got his loyalty. And since it's not clearly something that Vader is connected to, Rook has no respect for Vader whatsoever. It it just kind of now makes me want to learn their origin story all over again, because it's so well done in those Heir to the Empire books. And and yeah, I think it's the same thing. I just, the character in Rebels fell flat and this one is just so much richer. Yeah. I would, I would like to know, um, his origin and canon as well, um, just purely because he's he, he's so funny. I've always thought that his his uh, loyalty was to Thrawn was 
interesting when I was reading it and, mm-hmm. or not reading, watching it in Rebels. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love his interactions with the stormtroopers and actually the, the stormtrooper for Vader, Vader's captain or commander. Um, I was laughing because he's terrified the entire book that he's going to get killed, like that Vader's going to either kill him or um, mm-hmm. retire him or whatever, move him to another company um, if he doesn't do well because he's like the third commander for Vader's battalion uh, within the past like year. And and I was like, I don't know if you've ever seen Gilmore Girls, um, yes. but you know how Emily is constantly going through maids. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. um, Va- uh, commander, stormtrooper commanders are to Vader what maids are to Emily Gilmore. <laughs> and, yeah. And I just, I couldn't, like, that's what I thought the entire time. I was just, I had a great time with this book. I was laughing 90% of the time. <laughs> it's, it's, there's so much comedy in it and it is so well done. Yeah, I, I hadn't made the Emily connection, but you're still right about that. And it's, it's nice because clearly, I mean, we see that in Empire that, you know, he kills these two, mm-hmm. um, Fail, you know, admirals who he thinks failed him, and then Piet only lives because he's so, you know, caught up with all the stuff with his son. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to know, like, no, that wasn't just because he was so frustrated about Luke. That's just his MO. <laughs> like, that's just the way it all works. Yeah. And it again, I think, also really speaks to how how that attitude has perpetrated, has has penetrated the whole Imperial Navy, except for Thrawn's ship. Yeah. And and Kimmon at one point mentions like that he thinks that if the entire fleet took on Thrawn's attitude there'd be no way the rebellion would yeah you know the empire would never lose another fight and it's just it's once again kind of really it's talking about the Sith it's talking about the how that mindset of just total aggression isn't great for morale yeah and I I absolutely agree um that it's it is ironic like it's it's just ironic that Thrawn just goes to observe and he ends up being like the, the pinnacle of what of what the Imperial mm-hmm. Navy should look like if they want to have longevity and if they want to be successful, yeah. but they don't listen to him. Thankfully, yeah. but... <laughs> yep. And, and I think what you also get is, we talked about some last time about the Sith influence. You know, one of the big ideas of the Sith is if you've got two pretty good students, you make them fight each yeah. other. You make them rivals to each other. And I, I think one of the things that this shows is that the Emperor is very – on the one hand, like the Emperor wants these two to get along, but also is very clearly setting them up as rivals to each other and, and, and very much in the kind of like which one of you does daddy love best, yeah. you know? Um, and it's just really interesting to see how – we never really get inside Thrawn's head the way we do in Vader's, but it feels like like Vader is the one who really, really cares yeah. about this and feels like he has to show that he is right and Thrawn is wrong. And Thrawn feels none of yeah. that. Like he is utterly uninterested in that yeah. game. Thrawn just doesn't want to die. <laughs> yeah. He knows he knows that Palpatine will kill him if if he doesn't come out on top. If he doesn't convince Vader of his intentions, um, then he know, he knows that he knows that his his life will be forfeit, and he doesn't want that. And so that's yeah. what drives him. That and the the fact that if he dies, he can't protect the ascendancy anymore. Um, but I think it's really interesting that like 
Anakin's, there's so much, like, no matter how much Vader wants to get away from who he is as Anakin, Anakin still, everything that makes him up is still very much there. And I think it's that, that need for approval and that need for, for any type of, of like love is still very much there. And the only person he can get that from as Vader is Palpatine. The only person whose approval yeah. matters is Palpatine. The only person who is really there to tell him, you know, hey, good job, or you did awful, or any of this stuff is Palpatine. And I just think it's so, like, it's such a part of the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker is that even as one of the most powerful beings in the galaxy, he is still searching for that acceptance and and that love and now he has no one to give that to him except for Palpatine which he doesn't really want but that's all he has and so he clings to him and I think and and then maybe that's why like when Luke shows him that love and that acceptance um that's why he switches and it's an easy switch yeah. in the end for him uh because he's like yeah. I don't have to just cling to Palpatine anymore this is my son and he he loves me the way I've wanted to be loved it's so powerful. And yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing is that, you know, Luke saying like, I still feel good in you. There's still mm-hmm. a chance for you. And he calls him father yeah. is, is so powerful. And it also just also helps to explain his fall. And it, it ties back even more into uh, when you were on a couple of weeks ago, talking about rise of the red mm-hmm. blade, the, the book about another person who falls to the dark side. And that part of it is that she, she, because of the kind of very particular unique relationship she has with her, uh, master when she's a Padawan. She never feels like she gets affirmation and, and support and things like that. And she starts getting it from someone who it turns out is kind of a, a spy helping to groom her for, for the dark side. And then even when she's in the dark side, like, it's all them, they're all fighting for the approval of Vader or the Grand Inquisitor or whoever it is. And it's just, yeah, it, it, it is an incredibly powerful way to control people and it's incredibly malicious and evil and it's why you know it's it's what like gaslighters and abusive partners and abusive parents do and it's what governments do and mm-hmm. it's just it's, all, it's there on all levels yep. sad i know i'd make fun of anakin yeah, a lot but i do really love him <laughs> <laughs> very, fair, very fair and we're going to talk a little bit about anakin and, and who anakin is uh in a bonus segment for members only um but one of the things i want to just bring up and I, it's funny i I had a thought to do this as part of my introduction and decided it might be a little bit too cheesy, but I I was going to basically say the introduction was going to be, did you hear the one about Anakin and Thrawn walking into a bar? (laughs) Or what about the one about Vader and Thrawn walking into a bar? Because the thing is, those aren't jokes. Those both literally literally happen in this book. Like, they're just such a great setup. Like, what a ridiculous setup for a joke. But the fact that they spend so much time in bars just really made me so in cantinas made me so happy well and if you go to i've never been but my friends have told me um oga's cantina at disneyland um they have um like blaster holes in the wall or on the bar that are from anakin and thrawn's fight in this book oh that's so cool yeah so they've intended that is literally what it's meant to be they they have like a whole thing there that's about it um they made it to reflect that, like, this is, that's mm-hmm. the cantina where this, this fight happened. And uh, I just thought that that's a really cool way. One day I will make it to Disneyland. One day. <laughs> yep. 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 I love that. I love that. What other little things or bigger things or any of the 
points about the book you wanted to bring up? Oh, well, we've talked a little bit about the, already about the epilogue from like Padme's perspective. Um, but what I think is really interesting and really sad is how much it says about Anakin. Um, so what happens in the epilogue is they, they managed to rescue quite a few people from the planet for the workers, um, who had nothing to do with any of this. And, um, Anakin still decides to go and blow up the factory. What he doesn't take into consideration is the fact that this is a, a material they're making in the factory that they don't, he doesn't know anything about. All he knows is that it's resistant to lightsabers and to blast or a little bit to blasters. And, um, and so, but he decides, he's like, oh, it's just a factory. I'm going to go blow it up. The material they're making reacts very badly to the explosion, even more so. It's supposed to just be like a small explosion that disables the factory. Instead, it basically ruins the planet. And you see the effect of it early on in the book when you're on the Imperial timeline because the planet is basically destroyed. Like it's, it's in, inhabitable yeah. or uninhabitable. Um, at that time, Be basically, I think this insinuation is because of what Anakin did, uh, during the Clone Wars and, yeah. and that, and he's, when it starts to happen, he's like, that wasn't supposed to happen. That wasn't supposed to happen. Like, that's not what I meant. And then he's just like, well, that's war. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's like, you see, you see for a split second, he's horrified at what he's done, but because he's Anakin and he's gotten so good at this point too good at excusing away anything that he does that is bad as this is war i have to do it and and somehow that makes it better and and then what you see from thrawn and padme and padme especially is them not being able to excuse that and yeah. and being like this is gonna like you know that that stayed with padme until until the end oh yeah that, that chapter is written from Padme's mm -hmm. perspective, which I think is so powerful. And the the guy who we've mentioned who, like, she kind of bullied and tricked into helping her with his two friends. His two friends have now gotten killed. He's on the ship with yeah. them. And so he gets to be the kind of, like, oh, my God, look what is happening. Yeah. What have you done to us? Yeah, because Anakin was like, well, no one was in there anyway. And they're like, it's going to destroy <laughs> their way of life. And he, he ends up saying, like, what's the point of me coming back? Because there's not going to be anything left for me here after that, and so he and he ends up being the the bartender that we see in yeah. the Imperial times. Yeah. At one point, he thinks about what's going to happen on this planet, and he thinks about like, sorry, when he goes back to it during the Imperial times, the planet reminds him of Mustafar. Mm -hmm. Like that's how like utterly destroyed and wrecked yeah. it is. Yeah. So. Also, just really quickly. Because I feel like you mentioned it in your summary, but we didn't really talk about it. Um, this material that the factory was being used to make, um, as you said, was going to be turned into clone trooper armor. And it's resistant to lightsabers. And imagine, like, there would have been no Jedi left if that had been made. Yeah. Because the whole reason there and it's and it's resistant to uh stuns i think or, or to, to blaster fire and so all the deflecting we see the jedi do who managed to survive like ahsoka um managing to get away like ahsoka wouldn't have been able to get out of order 66 if they had been using that at least not the way she did if they had had that yeah. type of armor 
And that's just so chilling, like very subtly, because they obviously they don't take a lot of time with it because they don't know what's coming. Um, right. But so to them, it's just like, oh, huh, good thing that didn't happen. But to the reader, it's like, imagine if it did. Oh, my God. Knowing what we know is yeah. coming like that would have been 10 times as horrible. I mean, with, with anyone who's watched The Mandalorian and all those shows, like uh, we know that one of the reasons why Mandalore was able to stand up to the Jedi and the Republic over, you know, however many centuries was because they had Beskar, mm -hmm. which is similar. And, um, yeah, it's basically Cortosis would have been a way for like everyone basically to have Beskar, yeah. uh, which would have been, you know, such a big mm -hmm. deal. Well, Danielle, this has been so great to have you on. Uh, we'll obviously have you back sometime soon for book three. Um, People probably heard heard this a couple times from you, but for anyone who hasn't, where can they find you? Uh, on TikTok, I'm written in the Star Wars. On Instagram, written in the SW, and on Twitter, DannyS394. Right now, I am talking about uh, a little bit about animated characters, uh, not too much as I used to. A lot about books and a little mm -hmm. bit about video games while we're still allowed to. Cool. Definitely. That sounds awesome. Well, uh, and of course, I'm The Ethical Panda. You can go to theethicalpanda.com and find my stuff. We've now moved to a website on truestory.fm, which is the host of my podcasts now. I'm in the process of figuring out how to get theethicalpanda.com to redirect there. I'm not very good with technology, so it might take a little while. But on the, on the show notes for this, you'll find all of Danielle's links as well as all the way to find me, find my other podcast, Superhero Ethics and uh, just all the stuff that we're up to. And most importantly there, you can find information on membership. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Mr. Hayden Christensen and, and who is our Anakin in just a second um, in our bonus segment. Uh, but for anyone who wants to know more about that, sign up to become a member. It's easy. It's in the show notes. Uh, you get For $5 a month, you can uh, get... For $5 a month, you get ad-free content, you get bonus content, all sorts of other great things. So please give that a look and... Thank you so much for listening. We have spoken. Mm -hmm.